Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. This is Sarah Reeves from New Society Publishers. We are big fans of the Abundant Edge podcast. Oliver's guests talk about so many of the same topics that we publish on, and he talks with a lot of our authors too. We're proud to be a sponsor of this podcast that is doing such valuable work spreading the word about how to create a finer future together. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. If you're looking for solutions-oriented books, please visit our online store at newsociety.com other online retailers, or visit a fine bookstore near you. Join us this May 17th through the 25th in Plataneo, Costa Rica for a comprehensive intro to bamboo building immersion. In this week-long course, we will cover bamboo design and model making, species and varieties, harvesting, processing, treatment and curing methods, joining and lashing techniques, furniture making, tools, and so much more. All food served as 100% organic and farm fresh. To learn more and register, visit naturalbuildingcr.com. Continuing now with this month's focus on regenerative community models, I had the pleasure of interviewing Peter Wildman, co-founder of the Zenith Project, an eco-village slash intentional community in the Canadian wilderness. Peter is passionate about supporting people to live their highest purpose in the context of mutually supportive community by creating a new economic paradigm. Peter also aims to focus on connecting people in a small community setting where the most authentic relationships can be developed. In this interview, we talk about what makes a mutually supportive intentional community, how freedom is not the same as ability, and what it means to rewild yourself, how healthy communities can promote the discovery of your highest potential, and so much more. Peter also gives advice on how you can take steps to create your own intentional community and the challenges and hurdles that he's faced along the way. Since there are so many different configurations of communities and eco-villages around the world, I would love to hear from anyone listening to this episode who lives in a community configuration like this, or who has lived in one in the past. Now that I'm essentially a free agent looking to find my home in a healthy community somewhere in the world, I'm fascinated by what elements are essential for healthy community creation and growth. So please reach out to me directly, either in the comments below or at info at AbundantEdge.com. Now I'll turn things over to Peter. Hey, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. How are you doing and, and where are you? Hey, Oliver. Yeah, great to be here with you. Um, I am in the mountains in British Columbia, Canada, uh, about two hours north of Whistler. And it's a bit of a cloud overcast day today here, but uh, I, can see, I can see I'm overlooking the beautiful lake, looking at mountains a couple thousand meters tall. And uh, we're right in the middle of the wilderness. Man, that's an incredible vantage point to be calling in from. I really want to come up and visit that area again sometime. I've only made it up as far as Whistler. But hey, before we get too far into this, what do you say we just jump into the questions? Because I have a lot to ask, ask you about your personal projects and communal living in general. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. So could you start us off by telling us a little bit about your personal background? How did your, you find your way into this style of living and the educational principles that you promote? Well, to be honest with you, I, I didn't start out this way. Um, 
I started very much being raised on the conventional program of, you know, success in life means going to school, getting good marks and getting into a good university and getting a good corporate job and then getting promoted and getting married, having a mortgage and 2.3 children. And, and that story, that, that was the context I was raised in and the story I was raised in. And I always felt like that wasn't, that just, there was more to life than that, that just, that just wasn't it. That was the program my parents followed and they weren't as happy as I, you know, wanted to be in my own life. And so I took a, what I thought was a different to rebellious path back, back then and decided I'm going to become an entrepreneur. And while that worked out for me from a financial perspective, my friends and family around me said, looked at me as a success because, um, you know, I had a successful business and I was making money and that kind of thing deep, deep down within me. I just wasn't, I just wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. The, the promise of, of uh, financial success leading to deep and long-term happiness was, was empty for me. And so I started looking at other things and, and looking at people who really were happy and seeing, you know, what do their lives look, look like. And ultimately that long rabbit hole led me to, to intentional community. And in your opinion, what does community or intentional community mean? Because there are so many definitions floating out there. And I would love to hear from your perspective, how that is manifested in your life. Yeah. Great question. Cause I think intentional community is maybe on the verge of being, being almost an overused acronym or word at this point. But what it means for us is that intent, we view intentionally and we take intention in how we do things and how we look at things in the culture that we're created. And so we enjoy being intentional um, and not just doing something the way that is done in default society because that's the way everyone else does. Which is, that's the way it is. Uh, so we enjoy and, and see that as <clears throat> it's the process of examining uh, and being clear about why we're doing things, not just because that's the way it is. All right. So let's talk specifically about the Zenith project. What makes it a mutually supportive, intentional community? I know that's a lot to unpack there. Uh, what is a new world of what is possible when we drop the assumptions of the default society that you were just talking about? Well, what's possible is that it allows us to really and truly see each other and nature and the planet around us. Um, when we don't have a default assumption about how we're supposed to um, relate to each other or the planet, I think what naturally comes up in people is a real natural curiosity um, and a desire. I think our innate human desires are really to help and to support each other. Our highest callings and purposes are not to be competitive and to uh, make money and try and be the most successful we can. Um, but success is often determined by the quality of our relationships and how much we can help each other. That's, that's where the joy comes from for most people once they once they drop, uh, once they're able to drop, you know, expectations and, and assumptions of the default society. That's what we've noticed. And so going back to what it makes it a mutually supportive intentional community, what are the support systems that are put in place that help people to thrive and reach their full potential? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think the 
one of the big underlying problems with the default society is is this notion that uh, to have access to a place to have a home uh, to be able to grow your own food the the way that that's set up in society right now is you have to pay for that privilege whether it's buying land whether it's a mortgage whether it's rent humans are the only animals in the entire world that has to do that any other animal just says i'm going to live here i'm going to build my burrow or my nest or my den here and this is where i'm going to live and they just do it they don't they don't have to pay for that privilege and so where everything starts from with us is we um we set things up so that um, people that join or are part of this project, they don't, they don't pay for the right to exist here. Um, they don't pay for a rent or, or that kind of thing. So the first step in freedom and enabling people and being mutually supportive is, is helping free people of this, this like main constriction or issue, um, which is what requires us to, not have time to be mutually supportive and focus on ourselves um, and gets us caught up in jobs and, and other things that we don't love doing. And when we free that up, you know, when we create that context, now we have time, energy, and what we're naturally called to do, we find, is, is we want to help and support each other. That's where our happiness comes from, is helping make each other's lives better. So I certainly see the criticism of having to pay into a system just to merely live and exist. But certainly some of the benefits that have come out of that are increased infrastructure, uh, stability and quality of housing, and many other things that require maintenance for the lifestyles that many of us have come to rely on. So without that type of monetary investment expected from the community members, how do you continue to grow, develop, and improve the quality of life for everyone involved? And that's a great question. So um, when I say that, I, I am definitely saying it as a, as a theory. Um, we are a fairly new project. Um, we've been around two years, and we are very much still developing infrastructure. And this is, this is, this is experimental in a lot of ways for us as well. So um, what we found is that in the context we've created, People that come here often want to, they want help in some way. They're grateful for the opportunity to be able to come here and to be here. And that, that doesn't cost them anything to do so. And most people are inspired to, we find, to create something. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, for example, we had a new, um, a new guy come and spend two or three weeks. And he came with this really strong idea that, hey, I'd love to contribute like a proper composting toilet. Uh, to Zenith because you guys don't have one and you should really have that. And we said, yeah, that would be awesome. And for him, he just really wanted to give this gift because he wanted to be here. He wanted to hang out with us. Um, and that was a gift. And at the same time, we also recognize that, yes, we're not looking to totally detach from the um, current economy. You know, we're never going to produce our own phones, or our own cars or and those are things that we're still going to realistically still need and want. So not to separate ourselves from money completely, but to take steps towards um, increasing people's freedom so that we have more time to, to devote our highest purposes and spend less time um, towards you know, being trapped in a system of having a job or doing things that's not our highest calling. 
With that in mind, do you have any other personal experiences of living in communal settings? And if so, or if not, have you identified any of the things that cause friction in communities like this? The points in which people tend to break apart or relationships or connections uh, often start to degrade? And if so, what steps in this new community have you taken to remedy those? Yeah, so my, my favorite example of a community that I've lived in and spent time in is probably one of the most uh, well-known uh, intentional communities it's called Tamara in Portugal. And we've actually established quite a few of our own ways of being and values and philosophies and ways of doing things based on some successes we've seen there. And with that in mind, though, for every um, success like Tamara that there is, I think there's a, I've, I've done reading and, and had it seen it suggested that as high as nine out of 10 intentional community projects fail. And most of that does have to do with degradation of relationship, like you've identified, um, where people don't stay together or they break apart because of personal conflict. And so what, what we observed going on in Tamara is that they, as opposed to putting any rules or structures or hierarchies in place, it was actually a place of very high freedom. And what they really did prioritize, though, what people did value and were in agreement there about was that relationships came first. So they have a specific practice there they called forum. Um, and what essentially that is, is there's a context where they regularly get together and it's, it's a facilitated process where the community gets together and they share their fears, they share their insecurities, they share what's bothering them, they share their jealousies. Um, they put out in the open and connect with each other over all the problems and uncomforts and, and insecurities and things that are not going well. And that, that just creates a really, really deep bond and caring and helps them see each other as, as humans um, and inspires cooperation and support rather than um, the urge to, to, to break apart or leave over a unresolvable conflict. And I think that's the, the secret sauce or the glue that's made them so successful. And that's one of the things that, uh, that we're trying to emulate here as well, is it all comes down to relationships and you've got to focus on that first. And so within the relationship structure of this community that you're building, what are some of the ways that you create further connection and collaboration with people who perhaps have differing goals as for the direction of the community, certainly of their own lives? How do you find connection within that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what we find is that people are attracted to hear by our values, by, by what we stand for, by what our, our vision is. This vision of, in our case, it's a vision of being free and living more wildly and rewilding, uh, connecting with nature, and, and also doing that in a mutually supportive, collaborative context that supports each other's highest purpose and being abundant. And so the social fabric really is based on those values. And I think for any community, uh, intentional or otherwise, to be successful, um, and by successful, I mean that people really get along and they really like each other, is that it's got to be, you've got to have a common goal and purpose and, and values in mind. And 
that's what you can connect with. And when things are not going well, when things are uncomfortable or there is conflict, it's, it's a grounding. It's something you can refocus on and go back to like, hey, why are we here? What brought us here in the first place? What are we, what's our common ground? What's our agreement on? And you can go back to focusing on that and it helps reground people and remind them, hey, that's why we're here. That's what we're up to. Now, you mentioned a second ago that one of the things you aspire to is rewilding. Could you explain the concept of rewilding and how it has benefits for our individual lives and a community structure? So I've heard a few different definitions for rewilding and, and uh, there's numerous books on the topic. But for me, what that means is to, to experience life a little bit more as an animal and as part of nature rather than as separate from nature. So to me, anytime that you go out and you uh, wildcraft or harvest your own food, um, wild food out of nature, to me, that would be an experience in rewilding. You're experiencing life as an animal, as part of nature, um, as opposed to going to a a grocery store and purchasing it. That's a more wild uh, experience. And the benefit of that is, as most people know, uh, who spend time in nature, the reason you go to nature is, is you feel more grounded, you feel more connected, you feel a, a sense of calm. Um, and a lot of stresses that you have that are created in our lives, they just tend to drop away. Um, and so the more that you can incorporate uh, being in nature and interacting with nature and making that part of your, your daily life from simple things like uh, how you get your food, um, then that is going to, that, that experience of being in nature and those good feelings that we all associate with that, um, becomes part of your, a greater part of your reality, um, and leads to a happier and more fulfilled life and then a more connected life. Yeah, I can imagine. I've, in my own experience, found so much enrichment in reconnecting with the sources of food and water and community <coughs> interactions that we've had in our own little small Mayan village in the rural area of Guatemala where we've set up shop. And I've also had quite a bit of experience in working out or troubleshooting some of the difficulties of living so closely with your collaborators. Can you tell me about some of the challenges that have come up working with others in identifying the direction in which you're headed and how to go about achieving your goals? Yeah. So, I'll actually tell you a story of um, what didn't work. So this, um, this project was originally founded by five people. Um, and we had, a, we had a meeting on the land and we camped out for a few days. And we really went into our vision and our, our goals. And I advise anybody who's considering starting an intentional community of their own, that that's an essential process. Um, is to get clear on that before you even begin. Um, and we did that. But once we actually began, um, one of the five people uh, showed up. And uh, once we'd actually followed through and been able to purchase this land, one of the five people showed up and started doing things that were different from what we'd all discussed just a few months prior um, and what we thought we were all agreed on. And so we actually spent a couple of weeks like just really digging into it and looking into ourselves and, and saying like, Hey, what's like, what's going on here. And that person ended up leaving the project um, because it turned out what they actually wanted was not consistent with our vision. 
um, and what we had agreed on at the start. And I'm not saying that that's a success, um, but I think it's important. It, it brings home the point of for any group or any tribe to, to thrive, there has to be a common sense of purpose. It can't be all over the place of people wanting divergent things. And it's okay sometimes for someone to leave the tribe and, and go find a place that is more in line with their vision. And so because of, of that person leaving, um, things actually immediately got better afterwards. We were more in alignment. We were more connected. Um, we were not having that influence pulling us away from, um, from what we were up to. And so in some ways, it's, it's, just, it's always sad to lose someone, but it was also a success at the same time in not going further down a road of, of separation and differing priorities, especially at the early stages of a project. So you mentioned a little while ago about purchasing the land and how you did that as a group. Now, one of the things that I really harp on on this show is really understanding the context in which you're operating before identifying visions and goals. So tell me a little bit about the concept of where your community is located and some of the advantages and disadvantages for building a community there. Great question. Um, so I'll actually start with probably our biggest disadvantage first, um, which depending on who you ask is sometimes an advantage, sometimes a disadvantage. But we're located relatively remotely. Um, we are about four hours from the nearest major city um, and over an hour from the nearest town of, of any size with any services. And uh, we're located on a very mountainous, unpaved road, which um, is mostly suitable only for four by four vehicles. So for people to get here, they, they have to walk here. No one, no one drives by and sees our signs, so to speak. Um, and that disadvantage um, also is part of an advantage in what we're trying to create. So we're, we're an experiment in allowing a new culture to emerge in the absence of a def an absence of the default societal culture. And so being, being a little bit more remote like that means that um, it's not easy for someone to, to leave and to go, you know, for the night to, to a bar or some event in the default society, for example, it, it puts us in a context where we have to create our own culture because there is nothing else. And the advantage, the other advantage of being in such a place is that, you know, we're able to select somewhere where land was not so expensive and also a place that, that is really beautiful and abundant. And we're very blessed in Canada to have not such a deep, uh, a dense population density where there still is a lot of places where you can go and you can get clean water, a beautiful environment, um, relatively unspoiled nature, and you can be there. Um, and then, of course, the disadvantage of being with Canada, which you don't have in Guatemala, is that winters are cold here. It's very difficult to grow food year-round without some sort of artificial climate modification or protection. And so a little bit more work and planning is involved in, in literally, especially living in like an, uh, an off-grid lifestyle in, to survive the winter and to, to live well. That's something you have to prepare for. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I would imagine that comes with its own unique challenges being cut off like that. I mean, what sort of 
safety measures or resilience do you have in case of emergency or in case of the failure of one of your key resources, say water? Fortunately, fortunately, um, the location we've chosen um, <laughs> doesn't have an issue with clean water. We have multiple abundant sources of that. But probably our biggest challenge um, would be that where we have a major failure with would be would be access. Um, we currently rely on vehicles to get in and out. And if that breaks down, then that's that's a bit of a challenge. Our nearest neighbor is is two kilometers away. So again, we really enjoy that level of freedom and independence where we can be in a place where we can really do what we want. Um, and at the same time, it's also very revealing in that as much as we're a place of, of freedom and experimentation, looking to see what happens in the absence of default society being present, it also reminds us like, hey, we're still using technologies. You know, we're trying to generate our own electricity we're still using vehicles to get here and to leave here. And we're still very much, you know, using technology and have a need for the default society. And uh, it reminds us, you know, that there still is that relationship there. You know, it's beautiful to experiment and create um, what is possible without it. And also reminds us, you know, in, it's very, it makes it very, very clear and makes us appreciate a lot more what technologies and things that we get from society that really make our lives a lot easier and that we benefit from. Now, you talked a little bit about developing a new culture. Tell me a little bit about how that has built up over the duration of this project. How long have you been there to begin with? We've been here almost two years now. Yeah, almost two years. And okay, so in two the, years, I would imagine a the lot culture that come up, a lot of challenges that perhaps you might not have anticipated and at the same time, I'm sure a lot of things have surpassed your goals or some beautiful aspects of the culture you're trying to create have emerged without having been pre-planned. Could you talk about some of those things? Yeah. So one thing that, uh, that has come up that we've noticed quite a bit is we weren't expecting there to be so much energy towards uh, retreats. So this was originally envisioned as a place for uh, friends and for new friends um, to get involved and it to be more of a place where people live um, and we're going to develop our own community. And what's, what's really emerged is that, uh, is that because of, <coughs> excuse me, because of the, the remote location and rugged beauty that uh, this is a place that a lot of people want to come and host retreats they want to host events uh they want to host healing gatherings they want to host permaculture workshops um because it's just a very inspiring setting and so um, a lot of the culture has actually become around okay how can we actually turn this into a model uh you know not just a place for ourselves to live but a model like how can we experiment with different ways of of uh, natural building and construction that honor our local environment and how can we you know do permaculture and plant in ways that honor our local patterns and sunshine and water and we've what's emerged is we've become more interested in becoming uh, an example or a model uh, for for others that are interested in this kind of thing and, you know, some little quirky things as far as culture goes that, you know, we've noticed that 
instead of in the absence of, you know, being in a town where you might go out to a restaurant or a bar at night for, for adventure, um, we found joy in a lot more and a lot more simple things, just like having a bonfire on the beach and sharing stories, and making your own music um, and found that that is just equally, if not more satisfying and rewarding. Yeah, I love some of these ideas that you've brought up here. Uh, the change in focus more towards those retreats, as you mentioned, and the culture that's come out of that. Now, I've got, I guess, two questions, but we'll just start with one. You mentioned a lot about permaculture management, and up until this point, it's, both, it's mostly been referred through the lens of working with the ecology of the site. Have you also applied permaculture principles to the formation and the structure of your community? That's actually something that we could improve a lot on, Oliver. And most of our training in permaculture um, has been primarily through the lens of, as you would say, ecology, of through plants and through gardening and through uh, systems. Um, and social permaculture is a concept I have some familiarity with. And that's something that, you know, I'd be really interested in, in learning, not only learning more about, um, but that's also a, a really good opportunity for someone who would like, a, who has that skill um, and has that interest and is looking for a place to apply it. That, that's the sort of person that we would love to, to welcome to our community um, because there's, there's a lot of room for improvement in that area for us. That would be a big growth opportunity for us. Fantastic. Well, I hope my listeners are hearing that and we'll get in touch with you at the end of this episode after we give your contact information. But I definitely have seen a lot of uh, fantastic applications of principles that have mostly been taught through ecological management and landscape management uh, work wonders when you apply it to a different field of study. Because what I've found is that when you look at anything holistically, you find micro and macro expressions of it. So macro expressions are often uh, manifest in larger ecological systems, say an entire watershed or a microclimate of some type. Whereas it can be applied in a similar but slightly uh, shifted in perspective direction to community structures, to businesses, to, po to politics. And these are some of the ways that I've been exploring a lot and I definitely have some people to put you in touch with. So let's talk a little bit after this episode. But that leads me to the second question that I was going to uh, kind of explore with you. And that's this idea of freedom culture. Uh, I know that you're working closely with that organization, which has kind of defined freedom culture through their lens and promoting intentional communities and such. What does freedom mean to you in the concept or in the context that you have in your community? And how is it manifesting in your own life with this change in lifestyle? Yeah, so the freedom culture movement is, is one that's just really inspiring to me. Um, I've been to a lot of gatherings and events and retreats in my life where there's a lot of people who have really good intentions, uh, really great ideas. Um, but the number of people or the percentage of people who are actually like, who are actually like living their life as is, um, and really like, for, and really going after their highest purpose and, and making that their lifestyle is I've generally found is, is a lot more, is a lot more sparse and less common. And what I love about the freedom culture movement 
is if you ever go to any of their events or, or retreats, um, it's people who are not only looking to make a difference in the world and do so in a regenerative, sustainable way, but these people are doing it. These people are the people who are living their life that's in, and living as is. Um, and they're active in fulfilling and chasing their highest purpose. And so that's what we're, as a freedom culture affiliated community here at Zenith, that's one of the things that we're committed to as well is, is supporting people in living their highest purpose, in following their passion to help, you know, help our world. Um, we all know that, that uh, there's a lot of destructive things going on in the world. And we do whatever we can here to, to support like-minded people in breaking away from um, the, what I would consider to be the negative aspects of the default society, like we talked about earlier, which is you know, enslavement to a job you don't like just to, just to get by. So we help people with breaking free of that and support them as much as we can in, in, having, in living their dream of, of making this world a better place within the context of community. I love that, but I'm always sort of hitting up against a little bit of friction with this concept of freedom. And it's one of the primary, I would say, challenges or criticisms that I hear from the outside as people wax poetic or idealistic about this idea of freedom. And the way I've come to understand it is that freedom is sort of on many different levels. And on the lower levels, you're free to do something, but you may not be able to do it. Like, man, I'm free to buy an apartment block in New York City and completely regenerate the place, but I lack the ability to do something. And in this way, freedom is only as powerful as your ability to express it. So there may not be something preventing you from exercising the freedom, but you also lack the ability or the financial resources or any other type of resource to actually make it happen. And the criticism that I find in this style of living is that, you know, you may have this ultimate freedom where no one is coming in and checking on you and you can really do what you want. But the way it manifests is that many people are dedicating all of their time just to providing their basic needs because an infrastructure that provides it for them is not there. Have you found that to be somewhat of a conundrum in your community model where you are free to do th things, but you still find most of your time taken up by creating or providing the necessary ingredients, the necessary resources for living a comfortable and sustainable lifestyle? Yeah. And that's a great point, Oliver. And I, I'm very guilty sometimes of waxing poetic and idealistic that's that's actually one of the criticisms that uh, people in our community um uh give to me sometimes uh i can be a little bit far in the visionary standpoint and so what you're saying is is absolutely true there's there are days where uh, you know especially in canada where it's like hey guys we we got to just chop firewood today you know we want to be warm this winter uh, and you know, we need to spend a whole day just chopping firewood and that might not be what everyone really wants to do, what they would freely choose to do. Um, and so, yes, there's the reality is of course there is compromise of, of course there is, uh, of course no one actually does, uh, just whatever they want all the time. But I would also say that the, the concept of freedom to someone who is newly emerging from the default society is is that thought of like, oh, I can just kind of do whatever. Um, but 
I think true freedom is, is once you realize that, hey, I can just do whatever, uh, most people, after they've done that for a little bit, realize that ultimately that's not actually fulfilling. Doing work that is meaningful and is helpful to your community and is helpful to others, um, while you know that can feel like a grind if you're doing it because you don't want to, but there's actually the majority of the time I find when I'm at Zenith here is that I like building projects. I like working in the gardens. Um, I actually really enjoy and freely choose to spend my time doing that because it makes this place better. It makes it more abundant. Um, it leads to a better life for the community. So I'm in my situation of freedom. Um, I could go buy an apartment in wherever and transform into a regenerative place like you're talking about, but this is what I freely choose to do with my time. So yes, of course, there's limitations. And at the same time, I also challenge people to consider that um, meaningful work is actually one of the most fun things that you can do with your time out of your freedom. Yeah, I really like that perspective. And please don't get me wrong that I'm criticizing anybody for waxing poetic about what they're passionate about. Certainly, I'm guilty of that as well. And I think there's actually a lot of value in creating a meaningful narrative, however idealistic it might be, for people to aspire to. And if you're constantly giving them only the realistic or kind of compromised version of the ideals, it can disincentivize people to really put in the energy and the effort to reach the ideals that you would otherwise use to inspire them. So don't get me wrong on that point. I just always like to play devil's advocate because I'm a very logical, somewhat neurotic, uh, holistic design uh, focused person. But I really like that answer there. And it's like everybody's idea of freedom is different. And the ability to express it is also different based on the education we were given, the advantages we were given from a young age, the resources and information that we had access to at a later point. And so how do you accommodate many different community members' idea of freedom in a collaborative like this? Great question. And that's one of the, I mentioned Tamara in, in Portugal earlier in the podcast here. And the example I saw there was where we've taken a lot of inspiration from. And uh, I still sometimes when I think of it, I, I am surprised by how beautifully it works out. So if you imagine this, they are a community of 170 or so people, plus usually 50 to 60 guests visiting at any given time. So, you know, quite large as far as an intentional community goes, goes. Um, and most people would assume, oh, you must have some sort of a, a system around work uh, or some sort of rules or some sort of structure around it. But because they've, uh, because they've, they've prioritized, you know, relationships and, and cooperation with each other and they, ha- and they are people that are there sharing a common vision, the way, and it still, it still boggles my mind how well it works. Um, and it works well here too, is that, Leaders are not chosen. Leaders emerge. So, uh, and leaders emerge out of a combination of what people are inspired for and also the daily grind, what's, what's necessary. And so the person who, the people who will lead doing the gardening and growing the food um, are not someone who got elected, but the people who have energy and passion to do it and other people are interested in and willing to follow. Um, and so a very common 
occurrence there, and this is what we do at, uh, at Zenith as well, is we'll get together in the morning over breakfast and people will say like, okay, here, I think these are our priorities for today. You know, here's what I am noticing that needs to be done. And, and then people will share, hey, here's, what's, here's what I'm excited about. Here's what I would really love to get to today. And, and then everybody present naturally organizes themselves and says, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Um, okay, I'll do, the gar- I'll do the gardening today. I'll make dinner. Uh, you make breakfast. And I'll work on the composting toilet project over there. And people naturally organize themselves in, in an empowered way. And everything kind of just works out to get done. And usually there's plenty of time left when you make time for it to, um, to do what we really want to do, whether that's, you know, here, that might be, you know, hanging out at the beach or going for a walk, or it could be, you know, working on our, our website for our newest project, uh, for our own personal project. But the ability of people to self-organize and meet each other's needs and meet the community's needs, even in the absence of, you know, any formal structures I've found is, is really amazing when you believe in it. Absolutely. I like how you pointed out how structures and organizations tend to just form themselves naturally and that leaders emerge rather than are elected in this intimate setting. Certainly as you scale up in community size, different forms of organization tend to emerge and that's how governments get created to begin with. But I really like this intimate setting and I feel like there's a lot of room even within larger communities for smaller, more intimate communities to take more control of their everyday lives and incentivize collaboration for the benefit of the collective. And I guess my question for that is, from what you've seen in the the short time that your community has been formed, have you seen much of an ability for each individual to reach their own highest potential, either through support of the group or by making time for themselves to pursue what it is they're passionate about? Yeah, great question. So what we've, what we've noticed is that how much that happens is based on how much we bring that into the conversation. And so the more that we bring up in our conversations, the, you know, the deep purpose of, of what we're about here and what our vision is and how we're supporting and our vision is to support and enable people to live their highest purpose, um, then the more that happens. So life is created in a conversation, uh, first of all, I would say. And, and second of all, yes. Um, and it's not overnight. It's a process. So, um, for example, um, one of our community members, she, she really, really loves art uh, and is really interested in the intersection of art with also uh, design and construction. Um, and so she's actually been able to incorporate a lot of her dreams of you know, things she wants to experiment with and play with into some of our infrastructure here. Um, for her, that's really exciting is like, is examining, you know, how can we take the conventional model of a square walled building and how can we turn that design on its head? What about if we approach it from the perspective of art rather than from the perspective of engineering and, and mathematics? And as a result, we've got a couple, a couple spaces here, which are you know, they look more like art than buildings, but they're just a total joy to be in. And, uh, and it brings a lot of positive energy to the community because um, she's been given space to, to just create and just do what inspires her. Oh, I love that. 
you got to put me in touch with that person. I, the, those are just some of the things that I'm most passionate about as well. Maybe we could have a great conversation. But hey, look, before we start to wrap things up, I would really love to know from your perspective, your opinion, what advice you would have for people who want to pursue this type of living? Perhaps not as drastically as leaving so far off the grid and away from the infrastructure we've come to rely on, but how could someone get started in a more, let's say, positive and freedom-promoting community structure? So... I'm not. I'm not someone who, uh, as as radical as I as I may be, I'm not someone who actually would say like, "Hey, you should quit your job tomorrow and just go full in and join an intentional community," um, because that's going to be a big shock and transition. And and most people just that's too much of a shift. Um, it 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 just doesn't make sense. So uh, I would, to use the analogy of of dating. <laughs> Of, of relationships, getting into a, a community um, is, is, more like, is more like dating someone. It's more like a relationship, um, especially an intentional community that's based on relationships. And I would say, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing, but think of it as like dating a new person. Um, go, and, go and visit them and be really curious and get to know them and open yourself to their perspectives and their way of seeing things. And um, and start with that. And if that's something that you like, um, and that's something that feels really good to you and inspires you, then that, that community or that group of people will naturally find a way for you to integrate more. And if it's not a good fit, then, you know, you haven't lost anything. You still have your, your life that you can, that you can continue on with and go back to. Yeah. I think that's good advice for so many different things. Like you mentioned relationships as well. It would be nice if we could try jobs out that way. I think a lot of things would benefit by having sort of a trial period and a deep sort of introspection as to how your life fits in around the endeavor that you're pursuing. So before I let you go, can you tell our listeners how they can contact you, learn more about the structure of your community, and find out more information about intentional communities in general? Yeah, so if people want to... To see a little more about what we're up to, um, they can reach us on the web at visitzenith.org. Uh, Zenith is Z-E-N-I-T-H. Uh, or if you're American, I guess it's Z-E-N-I-T-H. Uh, visitzenith.org. And we have, we have some very basic information on our website about what we're about in our values. And we're also very much an offline community. We you know, we don't put out videos daily on, on Facebook or posts on Instagram. We really value connecting in person. And so um, if, if we're something that, if we're a place that intrigues you, then, then uh, you'll find our contact information on the website. Um, you can get in touch with us and we'll go from there. And um, we invite anybody, you know, potentially that feels like-minded to come and at least visit us as a guest. And as I said in my last, uh, it answered your last question. We're, we're open for dating. <laughs> but um, <laughs> intentional communities in general, there is a huge network of them around the world and, and more than most people think. So um, I don't actually know a lot of directories for that. But um, what I would suggest really is get in touch with um, 
people that do permaculture, people that grow organic food, people that are into natural building, um, people that are into conscious art. Um, these are these are typically the kind of people who will be uh, plugged into what sort of communities and different things are going on in an area because a lot of things are relatively underground. Um, some of them are as simple as like community houses in a city that uh, you know do guerrilla gardening and stuff like that. And a lot of them aren't really going to have a, a presence um, online uh, or on Facebook necessarily. So it's, it's really, you've just got to go and, and meet the kind of people who are, who are close to that, that scene and, uh, and do things a little bit the old fashioned way sometimes and just get to know people. Yeah, for sure. And though you may not have access to some bigger networks, I would definitely point people in the direction of the Global Eco Village Network, for which I'll put a link in the show notes for this podcast, as well as all the resources that you've mentioned. And there is an increasing amount of collaboration and organization among communities like this, including tons of resources from everything from, you know, taking responsibility for resources, waste streams, all the way to conflict resolution and how to put in uh, productive or regenerative bylaws to give your eco-village or intentional community the best chance of success that it might have. And I'm actually looking to interview more people from that network, especially on the topics like I just mentioned, so that people can increasingly find success in the collaboration and in the, the community models that they most aspire to. So yeah, so on that note, uh, let's wrap things up. I know you've, you've got a busy day ahead, but um, let's stay in touch because I'm actually going to be not too close to you, but in the Vancouver, Canada area this, uh, this summer, and I would love to connect further if we get the chance. So thanks so much for taking the time today and for a very insightful look at a unique and alternative way of living that I think more people should aspire to. It's been great chatting with you, Oliver. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we share. I'm very grateful to all of you who have added comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at abundantedge.com. And all of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.